So are we ready? Yeah, we're good. Okay. You want me to take this one? Yeah, I'll you start this one. <laughs> All right. I'll start it. We're here on season two of Design Of. Really awesome season so far. Here with Justin, as well as our guest this, um, this episode, Mike Irwin of Team RWB and the Positivity Project. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Mike Irwin, and... As you mentioned, uh, I am the founder and the chairman of the board for Team Red, White, and Blue. Oh, chairman of the board. (laughs) And uh, I am the founder and the president uh, and the chairman of the board for the Positivity Project, both two nonprofits um, with very different missions, um, yet sort of come together in some places around this idea of positive psychology and making other people matter. So, Mike, do you have any idea what our podcast is about? A little bit. I, <laughs> so I, I, I know. I know. I know. Your brand is making creative matter. So, oh, uh, Will's so, uh, high five there. Yeah. yeah, more prepared than yeah. a few of our other yeah. guests. Yeah, Will's. I love Mike Irwin. He gets it. He's always upbeat, positive, and just it seems like ready to charge into whatever the next thing is. Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed about him is that whenever he sees a challenge in the world. He doesn't look for someone else to try and fix it for him. He always jumps right in and tries to do something about it. Yeah, whether that's building a team or him leading the charge. I am the son of two police officers. Um, my mom was actually the first female police officer on the Syracuse Police Department back in 1973. Oh, hold on, and, so, and I, don't, I mean this with up to the utmost respect. Yeah. So your mom's a badass. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's you, you can imagine like the first one on, on a police department. Wow. So. Um, so yeah, so neither of my parents went to college, but they were um, very focused on making sure that all of us, you know, uh, their children would have a focus on, you know, getting to college and all that. And so um, I actually wanted to be a doctor my whole life. I wanted to be a doctor and I was looking at Johns Hopkins and pre-med programs and that's where I was going. And then one day in my sophomore year in high school, my mom came back and said, um, have you ever thought about going to West Point? And, you know, and I knew like West Point from the commercials and all that. It was only about three and a half hours away, and you know I had never really given it consideration. But I went and visited, and left there absolutely spellbound by the place. And I said, I've got to either give this. I got. I got to give it a shot. And so yeah. So then I was. You know. Then again, I go to West Point. I was going to do. I was focused. I'd do my four years at West Point. Go serve my five years to the country. That you know is part of the requirement when you go to West Point. And then uh, I woke up. You know, on September 11th, 2001. And everything changed, you know, 40 miles just south of me at West Point, down in New York City and out in Pennsylvania in D.C. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Brian Dumble. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We and that completely changed everything for me. And so I ended up going to become an intelligence officer. I was probably going artillery until that happened. And I realized that intelligence is a really important field. So what year were you at West Point? I was a senior, so okay. I was getting ready to graduate. Okay. So, you know, I mean, things were serious. Things were always serious there, but not not like they were. How did it shift? Can you exp- can you give us some understanding or depth of how did it oh, shift after that? Just day? like the level of focus and intensity of everyone being like, wow, like okay, we were training for for our first three years there, yeah. three years and some change for my class. We assumed that the most dangerous thing we might have to do would be go to Bosnia or Kosovo, you know, um, maybe North, Cor- you know, South Korea, mm-hmm. and, and serve on the DMZ, and everything changed real quick because we knew our teachers were like, well. This is a terrorist group, and they're in Afghanistan, and there's going to be Iraq down. I mean, people could already kind of look down the road and see that there was going to be deployments and combat in the future. So everyone got really focused, um, you know, wow. rather rather quickly, and so that changed you know, in many ways the tone 
of everything that we were doing there. And again, we were continuing with our mission. Nothing changed in terms of that, but just we knew what we were going to be graduating into. And so naturally, um, I think a lot of the level of focus and intensity picked up. Okay, let's try to imagine this for a second. You're a senior at West Point. Uh, you're thinking about your next steps. You're going to be doing some time in an army base for a few years and then, you know, kind of start living your life. And then you're about to be thrown into a real life combat scenario. And so then I went out and served in, in the army and I did um, three years at Fort Hood, Texas. Did a one year tour to Iraq. And then I did Afghanistan twice with Third uh, Special Forces Group, again, as the battalion intelligence officer. So three deployments. A total of about 26 or 27 months spent downrange over those years between 2004 and 2009. Mm -hmm. and, um, and after that is when I got picked up to go back and be a professor at West Point, uh, an assistant professor, and went back there. But part of the program is that you go to graduate school for two years and then you go teach at West Point for three. Mm -hmm. So went to so, your yeah. beloved University so, of Michigan. Yeah, so let's, let's not talk about the University of Michigan yet. Um, can you give us a uh, and I know this, this is probably unfair to ask you this to do very briefly, but can you give us a snapshot of what it was like on deployment, um, you know, in either Afghanistan or Iraq? I'm sure there 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 are some similarities, but they were pretty different. But yeah, I mean, I think that I would summarize the, the experiences and, and the common experience with being the hey, you're seven thousand miles from family, friends, and the familiar. So everything from the food is just you know not fresh and it's different and you're obviously so far away from you know your family and friends and that really is the hardest part I think it's not the danger it's not um, this necessarily even the stress of combat it's really it's being separated from everything that you've known and being so far from family and friends and knowing that they're worrying about you you know so yeah. there's that kind of by you know that dual directional sort of concern and stress that goes on so. What does an intelligence officer do? Like, what is your, what was your, like, your day to day? Oh, geez. My job basically as an intelligence officer was I tried to, and, and by the way, some of these same skill sets carried over to my entrepreneurial self. Um, but basically, you would look at all the signals intelligence, human intelligence, imagery intelligence, open source intelligence, all these various forms of ints, as we call, you know, short for intelligence. And we basically, you try to like paint a picture for the commander based upon everything that you see and say, okay, hey, we believe the insurgency is gonna target this line of communication or this village or that they're gonna really try to make a big push and, and fire rockets against that base. So it was all about trying to see as much of the landscape as possible through reporting and then paint as clear of a predictive picture as possible. So kind of like baseball, if you were right around 30% of the time, you, you were doing pretty good. Um, and so that repetition of me doing that is, is it served me very well as someone who is good in the startup culture, you know, who kind of sees like the various things out there and, and the, the opportunities and the gaps and the, wait, I can do that, you know, and, 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 and so for me, that's been a very helpful thing, all that training I got as an intelligence officer in the Army. I left Afghanistan in July of 2009, uh, and I was in Ann Arbor in August of 2009. So you can imagine the absolute culture shock, you know, of you know, Michigan. Now, while we have, you know, a fair amount of troops come into the military from there, um, there's no active duty military bases in the state of Michigan. And so, like, there's just an, an overall, um, you know, I wouldn't say, like, it's not that people don't care, you know, in you know, a place like, you know, Ann Arbor, but there's, it's, it's the wars and what was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan was certainly not front and center of their mind. 
And so for me to go there uh, and to be removed from that situation and to go to, um, you know, to a town where, you know, it was just drastically different than what I was used to in Fort Bragg, in, in the Fort Bragg and Fort Hood areas, um, it was tough. You know, so I, I, the, the analogy I use all the time is like a fish out of water. You know, so when I got there, I really was, um, you know, I, I went to my classes, I did my studying, um, you know, I had my sister and brother-in-law who were there. He was also at graduate school, uh, and, and that was great. But certainly, in terms of the sense of identity, um, you know, and I remember feeling to myself saying, wow, like, I'm still in the Army, and I'm still getting paid to go to graduate school. I can't imagine having taken the uniform off and now not having a job and, and how difficult that would be. And so that really kind of was the genesis of Team Red, White, and Blue. Um, you know, after my first two semesters um, as a graduate student, I, you know, I started to think and wonder, like, I wonder how veterans are transitioning. And I started to see some soldiers that used to serve for me, you know, serve with me and, and, and be on my team and, and saw them having some troubles and struggles making the transition. And so I started to dig deeper into the issue and I went to the, to the VA hospital in Ann Arbor and I asked, you know, hey, like, if I were to build an organization that could raise money and, and, and raise awareness around veterans issues, what do veterans need? And that's when I, you know, I met with a social worker there named Jen, Jen Lohr. And she basically said, you know, hey, veterans really just need someone to talk to. You know, a lot of veterans, like more than anything, they just need people to connect with on a personal level. And so that became the genesis of the organization. But, you know, at the very beginning, most people don't know this, but, you know, we, everyone associates us with physical fitness now. Yet in the very beginning, we were about personal relationships and the physical fitness component was merely to raise awareness and, and then to raise money, you know, to help support those personal relationships. But it wasn't until about, you know, 16 months in that we realized, wait a minute, people see us out there running and they really identify us with doing the running and the physical fitness piece. And wait a minute, we can still do the camaraderie and the personal relationships piece through physical fitness. And so it didn't start that way though, you know, so. So let's just back up for a second. So you're at, your grad studies were focused on what? Yes, I, I was in the personality PhD program in personality psychology, and I studied specifically on positive psychology and leadership. Okay, and did you see some need or connection there in the veteran community? So yeah, so I mean definitely. So I mean when it came down to and that and connecting the dots to what I studied in graduate school in positive psychology with my conversations at the VA hospital, you know, it was clear that 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 notion of other people matter and the importance of social relationships in your life that that's something that we I think almost all of us can benefit from. That there's very few people who say, "Ah, I don't need another good relationship." You know, <laughs> it's generally speaking, you know, people um, like to meet new people, especially people that they respect and that they like. So really that's what we wanted to become. We wanted to become that bridge to help veterans, especially those that were transitioning and struggling and perhaps going down the road of isolation to connect with people in their community who were willing to spend time and get to know them. What we really love about Mike and the work that he does is that he has a foundational passion to improve the lives of people whose experience he deeply understands. And not only does he have this passion, but he puts it into action even when his personal stakes are high. So you have this this vision, you see this need in the veteran community. What were your first couple steps to kind of create the organization? Yeah. Um, who did you partner with? What was that like? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so we, you know, really it was March of 2010. I remember because we filed the IRS um, 1023, which is the paperwork um, for, for tax exempt status. Um, when my wife was 38 weeks pregnant with our first kid. 
So I look back at that, kind of saying, still scratch my head, like I'm doing right now, <laughs> saying like, "Wow, I did. The, we did that again, really? 38 weeks? Like, why?" I mean, I remember <laughs> thinking to myself, like, getting a lot of advice from family and friends, being like, "Why are you doing this? Like, you're about to become a dad. For the, isn't that enough? Like, new excitement for you?" Um, and so I really can't like pin my finger on on exactly what it was, but you know, that was a, a, a big part was just sort of like the legal process of form forming the company. And then you know turning it into a nonprofit, but yeah, I mean this you know partnering up with Rule Twenty Eight was one of the very first things we did, and I got introduced to Larry through a mutual friend, and turned out Larry was at a point in his career and his life where he was looking to give back, and so Larry joined the board of directors, you know, and and he said, hey, I work with you know a lot of different you know, people on the creative side and you know like the whole digital side for my job, and I really think that we should have a talk with Rule Twenty Nine, um, mm -hmm. you know they're the absolute you know, best that I've worked with. And so, you know, we had a, um, you know, a meeting obviously in person, but then we also had a phone call when we were down in, Larry and I were in New York City together. We had a phone call with you for about an hour, hour and a half. And he just kind of said, hey, just talk to me. Like, talk to me your thoughts about the organization. I wanna hear words. I wanna hear, I wanna hear like, you know, help me sketch this out in, in my mind. Um, and, and yeah, that was one of the, like, absolutely one of the first things we did was establishing our brand. And that was because of Larry Olson. Um, yeah. Really, no one else on our board had a clue about how important that was. And that was Larry doing that. You know, and, and I still look back at some of the, like, I still have the, some of the files saved from like the, the multiple options yeah. of some of the logos. And I just think to myself, like, how different it would be. Like, one of them is like the the eagle but without the eagle's head it was yeah. just like the wings yeah and 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 it's like oh my gosh i can't even imagine like everything is so centric around the eagle now that it's incredible yeah you know and so i think back to that and just um marvel at just the evolution of the creative process and how you establish your brand and what it can do for you um and it's it's remarkable so well, it's funny one of our i don't think it was that same phone call but like our second phone call it seemed like every week you were you were pinging me with some incredible opportunity. Do you remember when you called me yeah. about like the Today yeah. Show yeah. or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I remember uh, you were like, "Hey, we need a we need a website and a bunch of stuff." You know, I'm on the Today Show next week. Yeah. Can we make that happen? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. "What? Yeah. No, we yeah. can't make that happen." And then I think the week after you you're in USA Today. And yeah. Like things were were yeah really fast. Up steam. Yeah. yeah, that was in 2011. So that big window of PR explosion was it was mid-may right around memorial day weekend was the story on the today show of 2011. and joining me is brennan mulaney the mid-atlantic regional director for team red white and blue brennan welcome thanks for having me thanks for being here i'm happy to be here so what is team red white and blue and then there was the usa today article which is leading up into the, the 10th anniversary of september 11th in september mm -hmm. and so i had been doing a couple of other like yeah so i was making a big sort of push on pr to try to get the word out about what team red white blue is doing and as i look back at it now with much more clarity than obviously when you're going through it you're swimming through it and it's not making any none of it really makes sense which is why you know I'm kind of back there now with the Positivity Project, although I've got much more experience now in, in, in my rucksack. Yeah. But I look back at it, I'm like, wow. Yeah, I just was kind of like running around and just like trying to get like journalists to tell the story of like what we're doing, and I didn't even really know what we were doing. <laughs> I, I knew like- Well, we, I, I remember yeah. we were having production meetings and uh, I was, I think I told you on the phone call, I'm like, Mike, this doesn't happen. Yeah. Organizations would yeah. kill to have yeah. this exposure. I remember this. And uh, yeah. you're like, what are you talking about? This is just, this is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, this is, you know, most people don't get on the Today Show? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mike, can you help paint the picture for those who may not know why an organization like 
Team RWB needed to exist? Like, what was the mm-hmm. current veteran scenario or options that they had in the country at this time? Yeah, so so to me, I think a big part, again, so where, where we've come to, the focus on physical activity and social connection is, is very clear now. In the very beginning, the focus was primarily on social connection, and especially for veterans who were struggling. And so what we started out with was sort of a more narrow approach, and we realized that this idea of social connection and help helping people, especially you know, helping veterans to reintegrate, it was a need that a lot of veterans, especially those who had served in Iraq or Afghanistan, were experiencing. So part of just like the differences, you know, within the culture, you know, so there was, you know, the American Legion and the VFW, which are powerhouse organizations. They've been around forever, you know, and there's just been this, I think, a bit of, um, you know, period where the, you know, the average age from a lot of their members, you know, they're, they're older. And so a lot of veterans are coming back and, you know, they were, you know, not necessarily interested in the same things, right? We just... Our parent, you know, you're just different from your parents because you grow up in different times and all that. So, really, for veterans, I think a big part was they wanted to to belong, and so they had, they had some of those options like the Legion and the VFW. But um, what we started to see was there was this big demand for a focus around physical fitness. And I look back at them and I think back to myself now, like I can't believe no organization like this existed before. It was just seemingly so obvious because physical fitness has always been a part of the military culture yeah. and um, you know to basically continue that on and say hey we're gonna give veterans an opportunity to stay active can stay connected with people in their community you know it's to run yoga CrossFit rock climb with fellow veterans and people who maybe have not been in the military but want to get to know them it's just such a such a no-brainer and I really feel like you know from the broadest sense of it that you know some of people say oh like like here, you know the like. Wow! Like, how do you come up with this amazing idea for Team Rowan Blue? I'm like, if you look at it, really, it's not all that amazing of an idea. <laughs> like, the, the execution has been so strong because we've had so many people who have poured their heart and soul into the organization as volunteers and as leaders, and we've had an incredible cadre of leaders. You know, a lot of veterans who have served in Iraq or Afghanistan who have taken like a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of guidance and they've just gone. Yeah. You know, but in terms of like the idea here, this is not like, you know, someone saying like, oh, someone like one say we need to put someone on that moon up there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's like, whoa. Like what we've done really as I look back at it, we 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 really have filled a a a, a niche that has been you know uh, open for quite some time. You know, and we've been able to build this decentralized organization to do it. So basically, those veterans are coming back from active deployment from Afghanistan and Iraq. They are coming back. They didn't really see an option out there for them, if I'm hearing yep. you right. Yep. And they're also dealing with, like, what is some of the current veteran scenarios? So, you know, PTSD, yeah. you know, TBI. Like, what are some yeah. of the things that you experienced a lot? That- sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so I think that, so so one from PTSD, you know, so post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, is definitely something that, you know, a lot of veterans um, came back with the estimates, depending on what study you're looking at, or somewhere between 12, you know, and, and 20% of veterans, you know, have um, some form of post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, could come from um, being involved in an ambush, a roadside bomb, a rocket attack on a base, you know, so we, we know that there certainly are a fair number of veterans, you know, who have experienced uh, issues with, you know, post-traumatic stress. 
There's also, you know, the traumatic brain injury. So, you know, from being near the concussion, you know, to suffering a concussion or being near the shock waves of, big, of a big explosion, you know, we know with all, especially all the roadside bombs that were going off in Iraq, especially in 2005, six and seven, that a lot of veterans, you know, still, you know, have signs of that, you know, that brain trauma and that brain damage. So, you know, we know that our organization by one, helping with the social support, but also the physical activity, but both of those are proven ways to help to push back against, you know, post-traumatic stress and, um, you know, and TBI. Again, as long as the TBI is not too severe, so. Uh, so 2012, we're, we're kind of there in the in the life of the organization. Yep. And, you know, how many people, do you remember how many people were involved at, around 2012 in Team Jeez. Yes, I mean, to me, so really, as I, as I look at Team RDB, I kind of see it in two phases. So the first one was when I was the volunteer executive director. And that was from you know March of 2010 until January of 2013, and up to that point, it was really all about kind of finding our way, figure, figuring out our impact, better understanding the veteran community and the veteran need, and figuring out our and building our strategy to be able to scale. Um, and we had maybe like 5,000 people in the you know in the organization in the first couple of years, and then I stepped down, you know, and we hired Blaine Smith as the um, as the executive director. You know, he came in. And right here in you know in Chicago, um, you know in January 2013 at the Pritzker Military Library, I sort of said, "Hey, I'm stepping down. Uh, you know, I'm kind of going back to my going to my role and focusing on being the chairman of the board." But you know, Blaine is you know now leading it, and, and really that's when the organization has started to to really take off. We had a strategy. We worked with a professional consulting firm that did you know a whole bunch of analysis for us, you know, pro bono, and we were able to then build a growth plan and. Um, and to more effectively communicate to the world what we were doing, more effectively raise money to be able to hire people to, you know, so to, to get the snowball really going. So, um, you know, and since then, really, we, we brought in 25 of our volunteer leaders into Chicago um, for that conference. And, you know, since then, it's three, it's three years and one month later, so 37 months later, you know, we're approaching 100,000 members. Actually, like next week, we'll, we'll hit 100,000 members. Wow. And, um, you know, we're about 170 chapters total uh, across the nation and some across the world and England and Japan and, you know, a few other places. And, um, yeah, it's incredible to think about the impact because it's not just that we've got the numbers of growth, but we also have got our research has shown that the impact that the organization is having on people um, is profound in terms of their mental well-being, their physical activity levels, so therefore their physical health, and also, um, you know, we're empowering a lot of veterans to be leaders in their communities, um, mm -hmm. which is ultimately, if you want to look at this from the most macro of positions, um, you know, our nation, I believe, is, is really in, in um, desperate need of more leadership. And, you know, we really believe that by investing in and giving the opportunity to lead, um, for our veterans at the community level that we are not only demonstrating to America what those men and women can do as leaders, but it's also giving that formative leadership experience to those Team RWB leaders in the chapter at the chapter level. And I think that that over the long run, that's the long play, is what will those men and women do who in 2013 or 15 or in 2016 are leaders in Team RWB Chicago, Team RWB Syracuse, and where, where did they go on because of how their experience as a leader in the organization changes them and, and, and elevates the expectation that they have on themselves. So out of those 100,000, are those all veterans? Or the no, so yeah, so that's a key part you know, to our strategy is that you know, we are 30%, um, and by design, we, we are inclusive, and that includes 
you know, civilian or non-veteran members. And we have 30% non-veteran members. So about 30,000 um, are, you know, you know, people who've not been in the military, but they might know people who have, or they might have like a grandfather who served in World War II, or they might, you know, just want to get involved personally and, and give back. And here's a way to get involved in, in you know, in, in through Team Red, White, and Blue. So, yeah, so that's a huge part of our strategy. Um, we have not, by design, like aimed for a certain percentage or a certain balance, but it's just sort of balanced out over the past two years. It's 70 30, 70% 70 veteran and active duty, and 30% you know, non, you know, non veteran. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, before we move on into your next venture, tell us about some of the partners that have come alongside. Um, uh, Team Red and Blue, just from a, a business standpoint or yeah. from a major support. Yeah, it's been amazing. So you know, we you know our biggest supporter right now, you know, is Nike. They have been huge in providing shirts for us and providing a lot of our apparel, and that's been you know enormous for us. And so you know, with the strength of their brand, it's obviously a really big deal. Um, Microsoft again, another really strong, powerful brand. They are our sponsor of our Old Glory Relay. And um, which will be going in its third year, and this year going from basically Seattle to Tampa, so all the way down the West Coast, and then all the way through you know the southern part of the country. So that's going to be and that's every day someone's running, holding the flag. They're running some leg of absolutely yeah. carrying that flag on either this year. There might be you know, opportunity for you to go out there and do some biking. I think there's going to be some biking opportunities in New Mexico and West Texas out there between El Paso and San Antonio. It's like. 400 miles of no man's land. <laughs> so I think we're, yeah, we're, we're gonna, I think we're going to end up putting it on a bike for some of those days. But but yeah, so I think that you know those are our two probably biggest partners, and we've got incredible you know partners from the foundation standpoint. You know Bernie Marcus Foundation, um, you know founder of Home Depot, uh, Howard Schultz Family Foundation, found you know founder and CEO of Starbucks, you know and the Bob Woodruff Foundation. So we've got some really you know you know great partners. But on on the corporate side, you know. ConocoPhillips continues to be a big supporter of ours, but certainly none bigger right now than Nike and Microsoft in terms of what they're doing, um, you know, to help us, you know, reach more veterans. So after I transitioned out of the military, you know, I have moved on and I have just launched another nonprofit organization here a few months ago, as you know, um, called the Positivity Project. You know, uh, we are a nonprofit focused on uh, helping to uh, helping children especially in like the kindergarten through eighth grade age range, to see the good in themselves and each other. So we're basically partnering with K through eight schools and helping them to transform their character education programs, leveraging the 24 character strengths and the research that comes from positive psychology, which I studied in graduate school. And so if you look at that, you know, there's 24 character strengths that exist and we're basically making a character strength of the week throughout the entire year and doing a, a deep dive with the students, starting as young as kindergarten and talking about things like perseverance and not giving up and curiosity and gratitude and love. So that right now is uh, the, the new focus and you know, we're off to a very fast start. Um, you know, a lot of opportunities I think to impact. And as we get out there and, and see more about um, you know, the current state of character education in the United States, we really feel there's a big opportunity to make a big impact yeah. on, on a lot of kids by bringing this focus and the, the specific language and knowledge about some of these words, because words count, like words matter. And so the more effectively we can get younger Americans knowing what these words are and, and how, how to see it in themselves and identifying it in each other, it can actually have a pretty big cumulative aggregate effect, and and um, and 
we're at the beginning stages right now, but it's, it's exciting. That sounds incredible. But why do this? I, I mean, you, yeah. you, you, you're about to approach 100,000 yeah. people on Team Red, White, and Blue, which is incredible. You know, um, what, you know why, why start from, from scratch again yeah. and, and instead of going to do something else? Yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, for me, really, part of this is, you know, when you look back, who I studied under at graduate school, Dr. Chris Peterson, he was one of the co-founders of the field of positive psychology. And, you know, he died of a heart attack in 2012, October of, of 2012. And uh, he was actually slated to come out and speak at West Point uh, at the end of the month before he died unexpectedly. And I, you know, sort of knew back then, like, hey, I'm going to be something I need to do needs to help carry on his legacy, you know, around positive psychology. And, you know, Team Red, White, Blue certainly focuses on positive psychology and on relationships and all that, but on the specific 24 character strengths that come from positive psychology that Chris basically wrote in, in the classification system from the academic perspective. I mean, he, it's, 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 a, it's a really powerful way for me to be able to carry on you know, something that he was so passionate about and that he knew could make a big difference in the world. I mean, the guy hated flying, yet you'd find him flying to China and to South America and to Saudi Arabia to go give talks or to give and lead seminars on positive psychology because he was one of the, you know, the founding fathers of positive psych. So help, 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 help us understand. Um, can you help define a little bit what positive psychology means? Because I, I think I, I get it just from the words, of course, but can you give more depth to it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the easiest way to package and to understand positive psychology is it's the study of what goes right in life. It's the study of what is good in life. And so if you look at the history of psychology, not to get too academic, but um, really psychology as a science didn't take off until post-World War II. It was actually starting to gain steam in the late 1930s. Then World War II came along and people were like, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, how is this possible? And so a lot of the focus in the field of psychology starting in 1945 and really until 1998, when positive psychology was defined as a science, was on the deviant, on the evil, on the how explaining and trying to understand, you know, what's wrong in life, what's wrong with people, if you will. And, and, so to, and really, so positive psychology is essentially the flip side of that coin, which says, look, it's important to study what goes wrong and the challenges that people face, and it's important to study schizophrenia and personality disorders and narcissism, but, time out, like what about all the people out there who are doing well? What about all the people out there who are thriving and flourishing? Are we not studying them, you understand? Because maybe we can take from them what they're doing well and make that generalizable to the public. And so that's when it became you know, a science. So that's really what it is. It's, study, it's studying the good. So you study positive institutions like schools and churches and teams and companies, like Rule 29. Yeah, yeah boy. Um, you know, it's studying um, character strengths within people. It's studying um, positive emotions. And so it's, it's, um, it's a matter of studying all these various things that sort of comprise who we are, how we feel, and organizations that enable good for the community and for the world. Which is a little subjective, but it's relatively black and white what's good, you know? Um, and so it's studying those more to understand them better to help generate and replicate more of that. Use us right now to kind yeah. of ex to yeah. tell those who are listening, the, the 18 people who are yeah. listening right now. Um, no, I'm kidding. Hopefully a lot more than that. No. Um, uh, 
allow us to share how can people get involved in the future? Like what's your current plan? Yeah, so so right now we're like, we have partnered with just one school, but you know, again, this is different. Like Team Red, White, and Blue has been advancing veteran by veteran by person, you know, by per, it's been a person by person advance. And we have about a hundred people signing up per day. Word of mouth, um, you know, has been really fueling that growth. But when you go in with the Positivity Project, we're partnering school by school by school. So the building blocks here are not one little Lego piece, it's like Lego blocks. Like, yeah. So the building blocks of what we're doing here are gonna be um, much deeper and, and, and much more profound just because there's an entire school already of 35, 40, 45, 50 people between the teachers, the, the counselors, the principal, the staff, if they buy into this, that they're helping to take you know these 40 or let's just say 45, you know, or 50 people from the school, adults from the school are pouring this goodness and this positive energy and this focus on character strengths and this focus on other people mattering into kids at a young age who are in their very formative years, which the research shows like moral development, like so many, so much development takes place in, in that, right. you know, age six to age 12 window. And then we pour in these character strengths into them and this focus on other people. The aggregate effect of doing this, and then, oh, by the way, associating it with a logo, right? We know how powerful logos are in terms of the visual. Um, it's it's pretty incredible to think of how we can actually, truly, I think we can actually move the needle for a lot of kids who spend time in class, like thinking about, you know, and, and they might not hear about perseverance at home, but they're in there and they're hearing about it for a whole week straight, and then they're hearing about love, and then they're hearing about kindness, and gratitude, forgiveness, and they're hearing about all these 24 character strengths throughout the course of the year. In kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third. By the time they are on into into junior high school, you know when we know things start getting a lot dicier, and you know there's a lot more peer pressure and a lot more you know bullying and and troublemaking. Um, we really feel that we have the ability to sort of help to lay that foundation. Obviously, you know with you know parents and and, um, and coaches out there as well. I don't think that this is going to do all of it, but I do think we have the ability to actually over time influence these kids in a really profound way. My favorite character strength is bravery. My favorite character strength is kindness. Curiosity, because I like to ask a lot of questions and find answers to things. We have the ability to, through the Positivity Project, to help kids to have this deeper understanding of character um, that is really rooted in the research and the science of positive psychology. So, yeah, people will be able to get involved by letting their school, if they've got kids or if they're involved in education, encouraging their, their kids uh, or these people to go to the website, learn more information about what it means to partner with the Positivity Project. We've already got 13 schools signed up to partner starting in this 2016-17 school year. Um, you know, I really think that like, we could easily, you know, probably have 40 to 50 schools, you know, doing the Positivity Project by, you know, by September. Um, and then after that, I think the sky's the limit, you know, really because, um, you know, the, the proof will be in the pudding in terms of the impact that we're having, which you've already seen that, you know, based just even, you know, from the infographic and all the data, it's clear. We're helping kids be more confident in who they are. We're strengthening relationships in the classroom. We're making them feel more connected to their school. Teachers are learning more about themselves. Teachers are learning more about their kids. Um, there's all these effects that we're having simply by focusing on a little bit of character a little bit at a time. So we can point people to your website Yep. and they could uh, make it, um, make the Positivity Project aware to their school district, yep. school, whatever else, and then um, 
do you also need financial support? Yeah, like yeah absolutely. Donations. Yep, absolutely. So, so you're going to be a 501c3? Yep, and, okay. absolutely. Tax, tax deductible donations. So there's ways to invest that way from foundation level, from a personal level. Um, and, and obviously, just like uh, the power of Team Red, White, and Blue, we've learned this about the power of word of mouth. So, um, you know, sharing and, and going on and liking the Facebook page and sharing. We've already got incredible, almost 3,000 people who are a lot of very actively engaged members of our Facebook page and, and the community that we're building around people who are focused on seeing the good in life and seeing, you know, especially in kids and helping kids to see the good in themselves. Um, it's so critical. So, yeah. Go to posproject.org for more information. I love it. Well, Mike Irwin, thank you for uh, your time. I've never seen you sit in one space this long. It's rare. It's (laughs) tough, right? It's tough. It's it's rare, but I've been here for like 30 minutes now. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you, my man. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. Absolutely. All right, that's it, everybody. Here at Rule 29, we are very excited to be working on some new projects for both the Positivity Project and Team RWB. So please go to their websites, teamrwb.org or theposproject.org. That's posproject.org. And just want to thank big time Mr. Mike Irwin. Um, he is so busy and uh, kind of traveling all over the country. We really appreciative of him giving us a few minutes. And actually, he took Wills and I and the rest of the team through the the Positivity Project workshop, which was amazing. So please check that out. And a big thanks to the Positivity Project for sponsoring this episode. And be sure to check out Team RWB's new podcast, Eagle Nation, available on iTunes. And we also want to thank uh, Rule 29 for giving us the space to work on this project. And also a huge thanks to Steve Wick, our audio engineer. You know, Justin, he's like a positive compliment from a good friend. So true. When you're finished, why don't you drop by the Yacht Club? And we also want to thank all of you for listening. Look for the next Design Of episode dropping in the next few weeks. We can't wait for you to hear it. And please follow us on Twitter at Design Of Podcast. See you next episode.